0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, our big rally in Nashville was a major success, even in spite of the satanic leftist zombies who showed up to try and derail the event. We'll recap it all for you today. Also, Joe Biden invites TikTok trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney to the White House, where Biden claims, among other things, that states do not have the right to protect children from mutilation. And the University of Wisconsin-Madison denounces my event tonight, despite having approved my event weeks ago. Plus, the Biden administration sends troops to Ukraine, even though we were told that there would be no boots on the ground there. In our daily cancellation, a man exposes himself on live television. But it's okay, even heroic and beautiful, we're told, because he identifies as a woman. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Roe v. Wade has been overturned, and this battle is now finally leaving D.C. and going to the grassroots. No group in America is better positioned than 40 Days for Life to um, handle this. With with about 1 million volunteers in 1,000 cities, 40 Days for Life holds peaceful vigils outside abortion facilities. They have a larger presence in blue states, with California being their largest state. Some abortion facility directors say these vigils can cause the uh, the abortion no-show rate to go as high as 75% which, of course, is detrimental to their abortion business, to say the least. These law-abiding vigils have closed many abortion businesses in America, and nearly half of those closed abortion facilities were in liberal cities where abortion will remain legal, including um, uh, places like San Francisco, Chicago, and Seattle, places where they're needed the most. 40 Days for Life is effectively changing hearts and minds in the grassroots to end abortion. You can check out their locations, podcasts, and free magazine at 40daysforlife.com. And, you know, uh, if you think that uh, this fight is over and we can all just move on with our lives because of uh, Roe v. Wade being overturned, you are sorely mistaken. The fight is more important now than ever. So for more information, go to um, 40daysforlife.com. Again, that's 40daysforlife.com. Well, when it comes to activism, conservatives uh, operate at a considerable disadvantage, I think. The left monopolizes many areas of the culture, perhaps none more than this, this field of activism They have structures in place that allow them to organize their activist activities quickly and effectively. They have armies of paid, astroturfed protesters ready to be mobilized at a moment's notice. They have, of course, the entire corporate media in their pocket, always there to promote their efforts, drive attendance, and then uh, give their events glowing news coverage after the fact. But their greatest advantage, which is perhaps a consequence of everything I just listed, is that leftists in general are more prone to get involved in activism in the first place. It comes to, it comes to them more naturally, I guess you could say. Conservatives are uh, far more reluctant to get involved in these sorts of things, either because they don't see the practical benefit of it or because they're worried about the blowback or because the whole idea is just too weird and foreign to them or some combination of these. The end result is that activism is a weapon, an extremely effective weapon, wielded almost exclusively by one side of the ideological divide. The major exception is the pro-life movement, which does manage to hold a massive march once a year. But outside of that, activism on the right tends usually to be a small um, sort of uh, disjointed affair. I'm well acquainted with these challenges, having been involved in right-wing activism over the years. And it was uh, front of mind a few weeks ago when we announced our plans to hold a rally in Nashville calling for an end to child gender transitions, otherwise uh, referred to more appropriately as child uh, mutilation. It's a considerable risk to put together an event like this in the cultural context just described. The most disastrous and embarrassing possible outcome is that only a couple hundred people show up. and, And then the problem is that you end up making a statement very much contrary to the one you set out to make. You wanted to show that lots of people support this idea, but then only a few people are there, and it doesn't really work out. Many conservative rallies and marches have suffered such a fate. And not necessarily because there aren't many people who, who agree with whatever they're rallying around, but just because of the reasons I already listed, they, that they are, just aren't showing up. So it's a risk, but it was a, a risk worth taking. And I'm happy to report now, in hindsight, that uh, the risk did pay off in a big way for us. So we held our rally outside the Capitol here in Nashville on Friday. According to the official estimates from the local police, we ended up with a crowd of around 3,000 people. Now, I can tell you that I was hoping for at least 1,000. I would have been very happy with 1,500. We doubled that threshold in spite of the built-in obstacles. It was an enormously successful event, made all the better by the compelling speakers we had on hand, Dr. Colin Wright, Tulsi Gabbard, Chloe Cole, Scott Nugent, uh, Robbie and Landon Starbuck, uh, Senator Marsha Blackburn, among plenty of others, all delivering powerful defenses of truth and powerful defenses of our children. So we had had two primary goals for this rally. One was to further uh, inspire our state lawmakers to follow through legislatively and to legally ban child mutilation in our state. Having spoken to a a number of them backstage at the rally, I can report that um, well, they, they were officially inspired and very impressed. So that part worked out. I'm confident that the law will get passed very quickly in this state once the legislature is back in session, which will happen in a few weeks. The other goal was to spark a movement that would extend beyond Tennessee and inspire people across the country to stand up against this madness. And when I say stand up against it, I mean to take to the streets, to make themselves visible, to show up physically physically not just on the internet. And I think we were successful in that regard too, but of course only time would really tell the full story. There certainly more needs to be done to turn this into a national movement. You can't accomplish that with one rally, of course, and I intend to stay very much involved in that effort as we go across the nation. Um, I don't think that uh, I don't think of myself as someone that was like born to be an activist. There's some people who seem that way. I, I don't see myself that way. Um, it's not something that I ever, I ever felt myself especially suited for, but someone has to help lead this charge. And at least for now, it seems that job has fallen to me. So be it. Wasn't all sunshine and roses though. Um, We knew the left would do their best to sabotage and derail our efforts. And so they did. Leftist counter protesters were there on Friday. Some of them certainly of the paid variety. Some were armed Antifa members in uh, tactical gear. So they were there. And the rest were just this kind of ragtag bunch of emotionally disturbed freaks and losers. Before it started, um, one counter protester with a hairstyle modeled, modeled I, I think, after Heath Ledger's Joker, explained that the guy who organized the rally is uh, a terrorist. Listen. How
1: would Propagandist, If you support anything he says. You are indoctrinating everyone you
0: know into being a Nazi. Matt Walsh is a sadistic terrorist. I just have to say one thing: is that uh if you want to go with the green hair, you you can you could do that. It's a free country. But the only problem is that if you have green hair, you have officially precluded yourself from ever calling someone else a lunatic. It just doesn't work. You can't accuse someone of lunacy while having green hair. Now, he has no idea what the term stochastic terrorist means because it doesn't mean anything, but he's sure you know, that I am one, whatever it means. And that guy, say whatever else you want about him, he was actually rather reasonable and respectful compared to the rest of the graduates of the Mutant Academy who showed up. Witness, for example, this white guy, Screaming at another white person that she is a white cracker who will burn in hell.
1: You, you white cracker. you, you ugly piece of You look like you got your teeth knocked out. fascist. Nobody knows who you are, and nobody cares, and you will die alone. You will die alone, and you will burn in hell.
0: Nobody knows who you are. You'll die alone. They really, it's like you, when you see them screaming before you see the rest of the crowd, you would think that they were screaming at a mirror because that's everything they're saying perfectly. Nobody knows who you are. You will die alone. I could not think of a better uh, way to describe the person you just saw in that video. And we see another of the advantages actually that the left has in this world, this world of activism. And you saw it there in that video you know, because you had the guy screaming and then the woman who was standing there. Um, the, the, the thing for the left is that so many of them are sick, deranged freakazoids, while the people who show up on the other side are just normal human beings. They're tax-paying citizens with jobs and children. And many of them simply aren't prepared to be confronted by green-haired schizophrenics with bullhorns. You saw that woman. She's like a, it's a normal woman. Now, In that case, she was she. Although she was being verbally harassed and and uh, and verbally assaulted, she handles it quite well. She handles it like a pro. But uh, in general, this is you know there are lots of people who are just they they see something like this and they're like I'm too normal to be a part of this crowd. As time went on, however, the counter protesters they didn't bother to articulate words anymore. Instead, they just started screeching like brain damaged lizards. Listen. Hmm. He makes a compelling argument, you have to admit, but not as compelling as this crew. And this is what happens if you don't stay at home and raise your kids. Right there, that's that's what happens. You want your kids to turn into that? You want to be disgraced and ashamed for the rest of your life because that's what your children turned into? Now they carried on with this routine during the event, uh, trying to drown out the speakers and prevent us from being heard. At, at you know, at most rallies and marches, especially if it's for a leftist cause, counter protesters have to stand off around the perimeter. So that the group that obtained the permit for the space can hold their event—that's part of the whole point of like getting a permit, which we did. But for our rally, for whatever reason, the city allowed the leftist trolls to come right into the middle of the crowd uh, with bullhorns and sirens and vulgar chants and all the rest of it. They continued even when they continued for the entire event. Even when, uh, for example, Chloe Cole got up to speak, she's an 18-year-old detransitioner who came to share her own experiences, her own rather horrifying experiences with gender transition. Um, she's a victim of medical malpractice and came to talk about that. The leftist trolls in the crowd responded by chanting "F.U. fascist the whole time she was speaking to a traumatized 18 year old girl. Now, Chloe continued on, uh, I think, heroically unfazed. None of our speakers were rattled or flustered by the commotion. And we all managed to be heard above the uh, demonic shrieking. In fact, as I said from the stage on Friday, in the end, I have to be grateful that the disgusting hell spawns did show up because it provided exactly the kind of contrast that I want people to see. On one hand, you have normal, decent Americans of all ages and demographics speaking out against one of the great atrocities of our time. And on the other hand, you have a bunch of screeching goblins who have no argument to present, no point to make, and are only interested in silencing the other side by whatever means necessary. So it's just—it's it, up to each member of the public to decide whose side they want to be on. So you see that footage, you decide who, who do you want to line up with. Of course, it is after the event. Um, that the uh, leftist vultures really get to work. The freaks go home to their parents' houses and the media takes over. Um, the media's first priority and favored strategy for something like this is to just ignore any conservative march or rally if they can. This is what they do with the March for Life. If 500,000 people are out there. They just pretend it didn't exist. And that's what they, they prefer, to simply pretend that it never happened and let its memory quickly fade away. But in our case... The event was big and loud and impressive enough that ignoring it was not an option. So they scrambled to plan B, which is to blatantly lie and mischaracterize. The Tennesseans article on the rally is representative, I think. Listen to this paragraph. This is what's in the article. Quote, the so-called rally to end child mutilation, an event organized by the conservative Daily Wire blog. This event drew a motley, crowd of about 1,500 anti-transgender rights activists, pro-transgender rights activists, Proud Boys, people protesting circumcision, and a variety of other right and left-leaning political activists. Okay, so they call the Daily Wire a blog, Um, they cut our crowd size in half, and then they pretend that the crowd was essentially an equal assortment of people on both the right and left. In truth, of course, we outnumbered the counter-protesters by probably 20 to 1, if not more than that. There are probably dozens of media reports about the rally, and nearly all of them use these same tactics. Another favorite strategy is this one by an AP reporter. She tweeted, she tweeted this along with a video. She says, Very bizarre scene here in Nashville today. Matt Walsh, Tulsi Gabbard, Senator Blackburn, and other Republicans are scheduled to hold a rally calling to ban gender-affirming care for minors. Trans-right supporters are in the crowd. It appears country music is blaring to drown them out. She follows that with this odd claim. She says, there's an argument to be made that this rally is really just to praise Matt Walsh. Yeah, I, hold a, I held a rally. The Praise Matt Walsh rally. No, that's, that's not this event. That's, uh, we're doing that in two months. There's also, you know, so that's, there's an argument to be made for that, she says. There's also an argument to be made that, that you know, you are a political propagandist masquerading as a journalist, Kimberly. And the difference is that there's evidence to support that argument. But the main point is that Kimberly made sure to tweet footage of the crowd taken before the event started. And there's a lot of this on the left. They showed up like an hour, hour and a half early, started taking pictures of the crowd an hour before it even started, and then said, look at this, there's hardly anyone here. Uh, At a time when, you know, a half or two-thirds of the attendees hadn't showed up yet. And then as soon as everybody was there and the event was happening, you notice that they they stopped tweeting pictures of the crowd. It's interesting how that works. Kimberly eventually published an article for the AP claiming, of course, that hundreds of people were there rather than thousands who were actually there. But she also, what's interesting thing is that in the article, she only mentions my name once as an aside while listing the speaker. She goes through the whole argument. At the very end, she says, and there were other speakers there, too, including Matt Walsh and yada, yada. But on Twitter, she was convinced that the entire rally was about me. Which is it? But, you know, why should the propagandists pick one lie or the other? There's no reason to. You don't have to settle on one when you can have them all. That's the benefit of being a liar, I suppose. It's only if if you care about the truth that you have to worry about things like consistency. But, you know, lies, you can tell any lie you want. All in all, between the media's lies and the left's attempts to sabotage us, One message comes through loud and clear. And the message is that we are winning, okay? They're throwing everything they can against the wall because we are succeeding. We have all the momentum right now, and they know it. And they're afraid, and they should be. Now, they still harbor delusions that these kinds of tactics will um, scare us away, And and the the thing is, maybe they have reason to think that, because in the past, they have been able to intimidate conservatives by screaming in their face, lying about them in the media, on and on. But not this time, because we aren't those kinds of conservatives. See, that was was a different era of conservatism. We're in a new era now. This is a new breed you're dealing with, guys. And we're not going away. This is just the beginning. Now let's get to our five headlines. You know, the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe is a huge, albeit long overdue step in the right direction. But there's still a long way to go to rid our country of abortion. Many companies are bowing to the woke mob by donating to pro-choice causes and candidates or even reimbursing their employees' travel expenses so that if they live and work in a pro-life state, they can travel to a pro-abortion state, get an abortion, be back at work on, on Monday. Well, what have I told you that if you're currently on a phone plan with one of the major carriers, you might be supporting these companies and their pro-abortion agendas with your monthly phone bill. Don't let abortionists use your money to fund policies you don't believe in. Switch to Charity Mobile instead. Charity Mobile is a pro-life, pro-family cell phone company that sends 5% of your monthly plan price to the pro-life charity of your choice. You don't have to compromise on values or good phone service. Charity Mobile offers the latest 5G phones, no device or service contracts, great nationwide coverage, and a live customer service base right here in the U.S., The fight for the right to life continues and pro-life causes needs your support. You can help by simply switching your phone service to Charity Mobile today. You can call 1-877-474-3662 or chat with them online at charitymobile.com and mention offer code Walsh to redeem a free cell phone. That's charitymobile.com. Mention code Walsh. Um, I also wanted to mention this as we, so we had the rally on Friday, uh, but the What is a Woman college tour continues. And I am right now, the reason I'm in another random hotel room is that I'm in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. We're going to University of Wisconsin-Madison tonight to screen the film, do a QA and a and all that. Um, and so uh, what that means is that, uh, of course, there are, there are anti-me protests here as well. Um, this one's a little different though, because the university university itself has officially joined in. So this was um, tweeted by the, uh, the YAF the chapter here on campus. And here's what they tweeted. Campus unrest about Matt Walsh is ramping up. Instead of calming emotions over an event they both approved and are providing support for, UW-Madison chooses to vilify our speaker on social media and pander to the mob, predictably inconsistent and outright shameful. And then they have uh, screenshots of a statement put out by University of uh, Wisconsin-Madison, put out on Instagram. And here's what their statement said: This is, again, from the university itself. This is their official statement. We are aware that a speaker is coming to campus on Monday whose viewpoints we believe are harmful towards our trans community. We feel the impact this is having on our campus, and we wanted to reach out. Now, okay. first of all, as the Wisconsin YAF chapter points out, They're not just aware that a speaker is coming. They approve the event. YAF has been working with them for weeks to to organize this event, make sure we have everything we need, logistics, security, and all of that. Although now I'm starting to wonder how much security support we're actually going to get from them. But uh, they continue on. Over the past uh, several weeks, many of you have rallied around our students and one another to offer support and community. We affirm, include, and celebrate people across the spectrum of identities, expressions, experiences, and perspectives every day, and especially in times like this. This is who we are as a community. Oh, they affirm and celebrate people across the spectrum of perspectives, except my perspective, which is harmful, and they feel they have to apologize for it. So they, they affirm the whole spectrum of perspectives as long as it's this one particular perspective. That's what they mean by the spectrum. We affirm the entire spectrum of radical, of of far-left opinions. We affirm and celebrate the entire spectrum of everything the far-left says. That's what they really mean. They continue, to the trans members of our UW-Madison community, we see you and we value you. We will continue to do our part to make this campus more welcoming and inclusive, regardless of what speakers may of what speakers may counter this value. What? This is a university. They can't even write incoherent sentences. We will continue... Okay, I'm trying to make sense of this. We will continue to do our part to make this campus more welcoming and inclusive regardless of what speakers may counter this value. <laughs> of the speakers who counter this value. So I am, I am countering the value of trans people by speaking? What does that mean? What are you trying... What does that even mean? How does it? How can you counter somebody's value? Much less by speaking. We see you. We value you. We are with you. And then it is signed by Christina Olstad, who's the dean of students, and she provides her pronouns. And then Gabe Javier, who's the vice chancellor of student affairs, um, and also provides his pronouns too. So. There you go. Now, this is—you might think, well, it's like whatever university does before you show up. Not really, actually. This is—I this is, uh, think I say it's unprecedented. I don't know about that, but it's—it's it's actually unusual for the university to officially apologize for and denounce speakers before they even show up. And um, it does certainly make you wonder what kind of, as I said, what kind of assistance they're really going to be offering. When, uh, when it comes down to it. Meanwhile, the the leftist protesters on campus have been making their uh, opinions known here by spraying graffiti all over the campus. Now, this usually, again, uh, you go to campuses, a lot of times they'll use chalk and they'll write, you know, Matt Walsh is a big meanie or whatever in chalk. But in this case, they're actually spray paint. This is, this is graffiti. And so they've, um, uh, this is one of the reporters with the student newspaper it says, UW-Madison's Alumni Park was vandalized with messages supporting the trans community just hours before Conservative commentator Matt Walsh is scheduled to appear. It says F-U-W and Yaf. Matt Walsh equals Nazi. Stop letting Nazi. No, and then it's cut off. Stop letting Nazi, stop letting Nazis do what? What aren't Nazis supposed to do? I need to know the rest of the message. And then um, also in in huge letters, right across the front of the building is spray painted Trans Women Are Women, F Matt Walsh and Yaf. I could not ask for better advertisements for this event. So I do appreciate that. Um, and there's been more vandalism, too. It just a couple of other quick points. First of all, once again, if there's anybody on the left on campus who uh, feels that f- feels this way and, and thinks trans women are women and that I'm a Nazi and I'm harmful and I'm bigoted and all this kind of stuff, well, all you have to do is come to the event. And if you can get behind a microphone at the Q&A, and defend the proposition that trans women are women, if you can successfully defend it, thereby debunking my entire position, then you will have really silenced me. Because you know what's going to happen then? If you could do that, I I, I guarantee here's what I would do, here's my, here's my pledge. If you can successfully defend the proposition that trans women are women, um, right to my face, I will... Immediately retire from public life, disgraced and ashamed, on the spot. I'll just walk away from the microphone and say I'm done, and I'll apologize. Even if you, if if you can successfully defend that trans women are women, if you can, um, or you can huddle outside and scream and spray paint and all the rest. So, and the, the, the second point is that you know we hear about words being incitement and stochastic terrorism and all the rest of it. I could very reasonably make the case that the University of Wisconsin-Madison is actually trying to incite violence against me by saying ahead of time that I am harmful to the community. um, By saying that ahead of time, when they know that there's all these crazy leftists there and they're spray painting, they're already committing crimes in the lead up to me showing up. I could very easily make the case that this is an example of inciting violence. You've got these deranged lunatics, and you tell them that, yeah, this guy's harmful to you. He's dangerous. If one of them tries to act on that, then who's to blame for that? Not that I'm all at all worried. I'll still be there. No question about it. All right, so Biden met in the White House with a bunch of TikTok stars or uh, whoever these people are. And there were a few concerning moments, the most glaring of which was in exchange with a guy that you'll unfortunately recognize. Uh, Dylan Mulvaney, once again, the man who has uh, risen quickly to prominence on the strength of his degrading cartoonish impression of a woman. And I mean, just just follow the trajectory of this dude. Okay, he he's just a dude no one's heard of. And then he decides one day he wants to be a woman and starts doing his uh, starts doing his, you know, woman face, um, his menstrual show impression of a woman. And then immediately he's, tre- he's trending on TikTok. He's got a massive social media following. Corporate brands are uh, lining up to give him money. And then the White House contacts him and invites him to come speak to the President of the United States. This is the privilege you get if you're a man who identifies as a woman. This is how you get to you get to you get to, uh, you're, you go right to the front of the line in front of all these other. If if Joe Biden wanted to invite a woman to the White House to talk about women's issues. There are millions of them to choose from. But no, he decided to take this man and invite him instead. So uh, he's invited to the White House, and it led to um, a couple couple of changes. We'll start with this brief exchange about the efforts in some states, like the one that I live in, to ban sex change surgeries for kids, uh, gender mutilation for kids. And here's what Biden had to say about that.
1: Do you think states should have a right to ban gender-affirming health care? I don't think any state or anybody should have the right to do that. As a moral question and as a legal question. I just think it's wrong.
0: Hmm. Okay, good. That, uh, you know, bring that right into the midterms. We could not have picked a better time for this conversation uh, and and for the President of the United States to come out and say, he's not just... uh, uh, you know, coming out in favor of transitioning kids. We already know he's in favor of that. He's saying states don't have the right to regulate it. They actually don't have the right to do it. You don't have the right to legally protect your own kids, according to Joe Biden. And we are specifically talking about gender surgeries for minors here. Now, that isn't said in the clip. Instead, it's just said, well, there are some states who are trying to make these procedures illegal. Yeah, Every state where that is happening, every single state, it is specifically focused on minors. There is no state that is currently trying to make these kinds of procedures illegal for everyone. All of the current laws that are on the books or that are, or that, or that are being proposed right now on their way to being on the books are focused on kids. So what, he's, what the president of the United States is saying there is that states do not have the right to legally prevent doctors from mutilating and castrating kids. And as I said, if the if the Democrats want to bring that argument into the midterms, I say fantastic, let them do it. There was a longer conversation between uh the guy in Woman Face and Biden, and let's see a little bit more of that.
1: And it, it feels like Republicans have turned trans and non binary people into this thing to blame society's downfall on in some ways. And this narrative is not only dangerous to our mental health, but also our physical safety. And particularly, trans women of color are being murdered at an alarming rate. More than any other group of people. Thank you. How can Democratic leaders be more effective in advocating for us trans people and our families and our lives and our opportunities? I'm not being facetious when I say this, being seen with people like you. No, I mean it. I genuinely mean it. People fear what they don't know. They fear what they don't know. And when people realize, individuals realize, oh, this is what they're telling me to be frightened of? This is the problem? This is, I mean, people change their minds. People are just don't know enough to know. And it's not because of, intellectual incapability. It's just lack of exposure. And uh, and I think that uh, it's really important that we continue to speak out about the basic fundamental rights of all human beings and the idea, the idea that was going on, you know, in some states, I won't get into the politics of it, but in some states, it's just it's outrageous. And I think it's immoral. The trans part's not immoral. What they're trying to do to trans persons is immoral.
0: It's outrageous. It's immoral to not castrate kids. Biden says first, you know, they keep carrying on with this nonsense. uh, So, so you know, I I have to continue reminding you that it is nonsense. The stuff about the trans murder rate, how trans people are murdered more than anyone else, an alarming rate. There's an epidemic of anti-trans murders. All of that is it's it's a flat-out lie. They're they're making it up. Um, All they do is make stuff up and. What they do is they report the total number of trans people who were supposedly murdered, the the total number, all of them, every single murder. And they insinuate or outright claim that they were all killed, every single one of them, in anti-trans hate crimes. So according to them, according to the left, no trans person is ever killed except as a hate crime. If it weren't for hate crimes, trans people would never be killed. There would be a, a murder rate of zero if not for hate crimes. When in reality, when you look at the data, you see that anti-trans hate crimes are extremely rare, okay? Almost, I mean, almost none of these of these uh, murders are even t- tangentially linked to hate crimes in reality. Um, trans people, for the most part, are murdered for the same reason everybody else is. Domestic disputes, drug-related, prostitution. So if the trans murder rate is higher than average, it's because they engage in high-risk activities more than average, prostitution, drug activity. And they do engage in those high-risk activities more than average. Um, And yet, as it turns out, even though they engage in these high-risk activities more than average, the trans murder rate is lower than the national average, a lot lower. It's like three times lower than the national average. So there were, last year, about 45 trans people killed, 45 total the entire year. In the whole country. That's out of a population of about 1.6 million people who identify as trans, according to most recent estimates. And that number, of course, is going up uh, very, very fast, especially among young people. So 45 out of 1.6 million puts the murder rate at 0.002%. That's the epidemic, 0.002%. For the general population, it's 0.006%. That's three times higher Also, by the way, if trans people were really terrified for their lives, they they wouldn't be acting like when you see Dylan Mulvaney. Do you see someone who's who's acting like like uh, he's terrified for his life? Like there's just uh, there are anti-trans murderers waiting around every corner. Is that how he's carrying on? As for the rest of it, uh, that was just babbling incoherent gibberish from Biden, as per usual. He says people don't know enough to know. What does that mean? People don't know enough to know. I have no idea what that means. I mean, I don't know enough to know what the hell he's talking about. I'll say that. And he blames it on ignorance. And he says that people, people just don't understand. They don't, they don't know. They don't. Okay. Well, we're asking questions. So if we're ignorant, answer the damn questions. It's like we're asking you to explain your positions. We're, trying, we're asking you what the hell you're talking about. We're asking you that. And yet when you, we ask, you scream in our face with a bullhorn and say that we're uh, terrorists. There was more than happened there. I also wanted to play this briefly. Biden also demonstrated that, uh, and, he, and he went on, and he talked to other people about uh, other issues, embarrassing himself every single time. He also demonstrated that he doesn't, he doesn't understand his own student loan bailout plan. Listen to this.
1: Secondly, if you don't have one of those loans, you just get 10,000 written off. It's passed. I got it passed by a vote or two.
0: Okay, so we're talking about the student loan bailout plan. He said it's its passed by a vote of two. Who? What... <laughs> What do you think happened, Gramps? What are you what are you remembering? Because that was not that that's you you just you did that on your own. That was a that was by executive fiat. There was no legislation passed for that. You just did that. Passed by a vote of two. What is he even talking about? Who who are the two people? Now that, that raises a lot of questions about who's actually running the show over there at the White House. He also said that he wants to force taxpayers to pay for abortions or uh, or reimburse for abortions. Do you support a federal fund for individuals like myself who need to take time off work, obtain child absolutely. care?
1: The answer is absolutely. But absolutely. guess what? We need the same votes we need to overrule, to uh, reinstate uh, the, uh, the decision that was struck down by the court. I mean, I do support that. And I've urged, publicly urged, companies to do that. I've urged them publicly as President of the United States saying, this is what you should be doing. I urge you to do it.
0: Uh, yet another argument that the Democrats can bring into the midterms. So if you're keeping track, what they're what they're proposing here is uh, forcing all taxpayers to reimburse women who kill their babies and uh, also castrating and mutilating kids. So those are the two, you know, those are the two... Um, there's more to their platform, but those are the two major prongs of their campaign, of their platform. Again, it's just it's up to normal people to look at that and say, is that, is that the kind of country you want to live in? Is that what you believe in? All right, moving on to uh, other topics briefly. This is from the Daily Wire report from yesterday. It says, U.S. military forces have deployed... One of the nation's most elite groups of airborne division soldiers to Europe for the first time since World War II, vowing to fight alongside Ukrainian troops in the war against Russia, according to a report. CBS News reported Friday that the U.S. Army's uh, 101st Airborne Division, a group trained to deploy anywhere in the world and and, uh, fight within hours, deployed approximately 4,700 soldiers from Fort Campbell to Kentucky to Romania, where soldiers stand ready to reinforce NATO's eastern flank on a moment's notice. The division's Deputy Commander Brigadier General John Lubis told the outlet, we're ready to defend every inch of NATO's soil. Well, I want no part of this, none at all. And, you know, the thing is they've been telling us that there wouldn't be boots on the ground, only weapons and money. No, just setting weapons and money. And if you believe that, then there's really no hope for you because it, it was always destined to go this way. It always is. Anytime the federal government does anything, Um, First of all, when they say that it's temporary, it never is. And when they say, well, we're only going to go this far and no further, it never is. That's never true either. And yet through this whole Ukraine affair, this entire time, months and months now, still nobody has been able to explain why Americans have any interest in this conflict, why it serves the interests of Americans to get involved at all, to defend Ukraine. Nobody's been able to explain that that's because they aren't trying to explain it, because that's not the language that the globalists speak. They don't care about American interests. They care about their own interests, the interests of political elites, defense contractors, the military industrial complex. That's what they care about. They, they don't even try. They, they don't, that's my point. They don't even try to couch their arguments in terms of, well, this, this suits American interests for that, this reason. Like, they can't even speak that way. As for Americans, um, Actual Americans like you and me, we're not served at all by getting involved or ramping up our involvement, rather, in Ukraine. There is no reason, really, why you should be forced to care about this fight, whether Russia or Ukraine wins. There, there are a great many violent conflicts happening all over the globe, all the time, every day. And it's unfortunate. I wish that none of them were happening. I wish that there were no violent conflicts. I wish that all the violence in this country wasn't happening, but it is. As far as the violent conflicts all across the globe every day, most of them have nothing to do with us. And frankly, shouldn't matter to us all that much. This is one of those. And the response is always, oh, you're pro-Russia. No, I'm pro-America, you dummy. I don't care about Russia. I'm not sitting around caring about it. That, that's not, it's not my country. I'll let Russia worry about Russia. And I'm also not sitting around caring that much about Ukraine. I'll, I'll let Ukraine handle Ukraine. I wish the people the best. Um, I feel compassion in general for people. That's why I say all the violent conflicts happening all over the globe, I'm, I i feel bad about the fact that they're happening. I, I do not I don't like it. And when you tell me about one particular incident or something that a tragedy somewhere or whatever, violent conflict, and, and I hear about it, I think, well, that's that's a terrible thing. That's really terrible. But that's all I can say about it. There's nothing else to be said. The fate of other nations as political entities is not my concern. It's their concern. So let them work it out. Why is this so hard? Why is this a difficult concept to understand? It really isn't. Or it shouldn't be. All right, we also have, uh, I got to mention this before we get to the comment section because it's just wonderful. This is from the New York Post. It says, a new book by lefty Democrat uh, Representative Cory Bush debuted with a faceplant this month selling 729 copies in its first week according to industry tracker NPD bookstand. Uh, the Forerunner, a story of pain and perseverance in America, was released by Knopf uh, on October 4th. The publisher paid Bush, an anti-police socialist who stoked BLM riots in 2020, in advance of at least $50,000, according to Bush's financial disclosure. Things only went downhill from there, with uh, NDP reporting just 288 books sold in its second week. Wow. that is, I almost feel bad. This is another tragedy I, om- I almost feel bad about. Actually, my compassion does not extend far enough to really feel bad about it. But uh, the book is billed as a political memoir which delves into Bush's history as a minimum wage worker, survivor of sexual violence, and Black Lives Matter activist. Industry insiders called the book launch mediocre, which which is being really generous, and said that uh, the publisher was unlikely to recoup their investment. Yeah, I would say so. The public yawn comes despite an intense marketing blitz, which included fawning reviews from friendly outlets like New York Magazine and Forbes Women. The book received glowing testimonials from Whoopi Goldberg, Margaret Hoover, and Joy Reid. Bush even plugged the memoir on The View and The Daily Show on the day of its release. So you have to understand just what a catastrophic failure this is. And it's very reminiscent of, um, there was the book about uh, uh, Dr. Jill Biden. Dr. Jill Biden that came out a few months ago and we had fun talking about what a, what a... I forget what the exact numbers were on that, but it was just a terrible. Nobody bought the book. Nobody cared. And that's certainly the case here. Also keep in mind, 729 copies sold. A certain portion of those are going to be bulk purchases uh, organized by the publisher or by people, you know, or by uh, Cory Bush's campaign or, or whatever through surrogates. Uh, so there's going to be some bulk purchases they do. It's really, probably that's all of the, the books. I don't think any actual real person went out and bought this book and went to Amazon and bought it. Because why would they? And this is in spite of the massive amount of publicity. This is the, like we talk about the advantages they have on the left. And it's important to always highlight those advantages, not because we're whining about them, but because it makes their failures all the more humiliating for them. So this is the, you, you can, Cory Bush puts a book out. She has her pick of the litter. She can go on any show she wants to she can get the book out in front of millions of people all at once. She can do prime time. She can do daytime TV. She can do all of that. And she did. And still nobody bought it. And I, I just have to point out that 729 copies, that is fewer copies than Johnny the Walrus sold in like the first hour of its release. And that's in spite of the fact that, of course, because... I'm a conservative, and I am myself. I, I don't get to appear on all these shows. I did Tucker Carlson, which is a big boost. That was it, as far as big national shows go. That was it. I really wanted to go on uh, the View. We tried to make that happen, and it just it didn't. So, seven hundred twenty-nine. You know, more than that in an hour, and she does that in the week. Just a, a horrific embarrassment for her. But again, it shows. Keep so. So we've got. Cori Bush selling no copies of her book. Um, And this is in the same, around the same time frame that AOC is doing her uh, town hall meetings and no one's showing up to them. And the few people who are showing up are only only there to scream at her. So she got the sparsely attended town halls, books not selling anything. These are supposed to be the the new stars of the Democrat Party. This is the squad we're talking about, okay? The squad that's supposed to be the, the Beatles of the Democrat Party. And nobody cares about these people. Nobody actually cares. This is all astroturf. This is all uh, uh, contrived. There are these political sensations entirely contrived by the media. And it's just uh, fantastic. Let's get to the comment section. Daily cancellations are the law and order of the day. All right, the big E says there's something about the way Matt uses the term weirdo that carries so much more weight than I feel it should. If some random person on the street called me a weirdo, I would never give it a second thought, but if Matt ever called me a weirdo, it would pierce me to my very soul. Well, I don't know why, but I I'm I, I'm very flattered by that. I take that as a high compliment. I'm not exactly sure what it means, but I appreciate it. Sir Lionel says, every single time I look past Matt at the background, I see something new and absolutely bizarre. Well, we like to keep you guessing, although I'm not sure we have anything bizarre in the background. Well, it's, you know, we're going, we're on the road. It's hard to bring the bizarre items with you, but uh, you can see at least the walrus and Johnny the walrus back there. Nothing bizarre about that. Holly says, uh, every time you win an argument, the relationship loses. Dr. Phil, she's quoting Dr. Phil, uh, not talking to him. Every time you win an argument, the relationship loses. Every time you win an argument the relationship. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. as someone who enjoys winning arguments, I, I, I cannot line up behind the idea that it's bad to win because if you win it means that so here's here's the way all here's the way I'll parse this. In the context of a, of a marriage, if if you're having a discussion or an argument, and the only thing you care about is winning. If that's the only thing that matters to you, then the relationship loses. Yeah, if that's if that becomes the objective in the argument, which which is what happens sometimes in marriages. It does happen. And that's when, you know, when all it is is about winning, you're just trying to win this argument. Uh, and then you start, you know, you start bringing up things that are irrelevant. You just start, like, you start throwing anything you can against the wall uh, just so you can, you know, just so you can win. Uh, when you do that, then yeah, the relationship loses. But if you're having an argument or a, a heated discussion in a marriage and you raise points and then the other party concerned realizes that the points you're raising are correct and says so, then it's hard for me to see how the relationship loses in that. That is, uh, that is, that is reunification. That was you, you were divided and you reunified around the idea that I am right. Which it's hard for me to see. Not that I've ever really had that experience in my marriage, but I'm just saying, if it were to happen, I wouldn't consider it a loss at all. Uh, M. Linney says, "Matt, you probably noticed that there's a tweet of yours circulating from 2016 where you say that, uh, yeah, what else is new, where you say that the difference between Islam and Christianity is that Christianity is true." I've noticed a lot of Muslim accounts reacting to this and seeming to be very angry disappointed but I'm not sure how that comment could be controversial or why they're digging it up all these years later. Yeah, I did notice that because I started getting notifications from people uh, trying to dunk on this tweet six years later. By the way, you can't dunk on a tweet six years later. Dunks have to come in the first day or two. I think you have about a 48-dunk window. You have a 48-hour dunk window for tweets, and after that point, the game is over, and you just it's too late to, to dunk. In this particular tweet, Yes, I I said that Christianity is true and Islam isn't. There was a context for that comment. I didn't just say it randomly. There was context related to the news cycle at the time that would have made sense to people six years ago. But this is one of the cheapest and lamest things people do on the internet, where they pull something completely out of the conversational context years later and they react to it as if it was blurted out entirely at random. Um, So it's just a lame thing. But of course, In this case, even if I did say it at random, it makes absolutely zero sense to be offended by it. What exactly are you offended by? Of course I think Christianity is true. I'm Christian. Every Christian believes that Christianity is true, or else they wouldn't be Christian. Now, there might be people who call themselves Christian and don't believe that Christianity is true, but they're not really Christian. And if I think that Christianity is true, then obviously I think that every other religion is not true. What else would I think? Did people imagine that I'm a Christian who actually secretly thinks that Islam is true? So, what is the issue here? It's just completely absurd. Now, does that mean that there are no redeeming qualities to other religions, like for example, Islam or to other world religions? No, I think that many religions, at least, at least the ancient ones, anyway, um, many of them, are, you know, can be quite beautiful and are are interesting and have wisdom. They, they contain wisdom. Um, I also know that if somebody is an adherent to an old religion and is serious about their faith. I will very often have much more in common with them than I will with a secular leftist. Um, so I think all of that, but I believe that Christianity has the fullness of truth while other religions do not. Again, if I didn't believe that, I wouldn't be a Christian. As to why this is coming up now, as far as I can tell, and I didn't do much investigating, but as far as I can tell, some seemingly large or prominent accounts from the Arab-speaking world dug the tweet up, and I've been passing it around, and... Um, and the reason they did that is that my film, What is a Woman, has been quite popular among uh, Muslims, both in this country and internationally. It's been a big hit, you know, in, in that community, and their culture, which I think is great. And I've said many times, I'm willing to join forces with anyone on this issue, um, the issue of defeating gender ideology. I, ju- I, I would join forces with a pro-abortion feminist on this issue. So, of course, I would d- join forces with a devout Muslim. But of course, I would. Don't even have to think about that. And I truly believe that a coalition, an alliance of devout Christians and devout Muslims and devout people of all faiths fighting back against this cultural decay could be extremely formidable. But there are apparently some, as I said, Muslim influencers, I guess, who who aren't interested in such an alliance. And so they went digging for stuff to discredit me in that community. And what they found is that shocker I believe in my own religion and not theirs. And now a very similar thing happened with the feminists in the UK who, you know, back in June were debating whether to consider me an ally in the gender ideology fight until a few of them went digging. And in their case, they didn't have to dig very far to find opinions that I hold, which they consider to be abhorrent. And, uh, and then they successfully derailed any opportunity for a, let's say, working relationship on this issue. There were, we were, it, like, it, it seemed like we were on the cusp maybe of, yeah, we can work together on this. And there were some prominent feminists, especially in the UK, who were saying there's no reason we can't work together on this. But then other feminists who, who you know are, are opposed to the trans stuff, they don't want to do that. So they went looking through. They said, well, here he said this and this and this and look at this. He's no friend of ours. And in that case, they successfully ruined any chance of, uh, of us working together on that. There are always people who, who want to do that. There are always people who just, they don't want to win. And if they see a strong alliance forming and they see momentum growing, they just instinctively do what they can to sabotage it. I'm not talking about people on the left doing this. I mean, obviously they do, but I mean, people who agree on the issue, but just don't, they don't want to win, or at least they don't want to win like this. They're there always people. It doesn't matter what community you're talking about. It's always people doing that. Conservatives in general are notorious for this. Absolutely notorious. And as someone who, who wants to actually get things done, wants to get points on the freaking board for a change, it frustrates me to no end when anyone does this. And as I said, conservatives in this country are, are, do it all the time. We get close, we're getting some momentum, we're getting close to being there, we're forming alliances, and they come well, no, we can't, we can't work with them or them or them, we can't do this, we can't do that, we should be doing this differently. Okay, good job, you just, uh, you just threw a wrench into the works, but you have... So, so what, what, what's your plan for doing it better? You don't have a plan, you have nothing. So, I hope that doesn't work in this case. Well, as I talked about last week, the merch overlords have used my likeness to peddle a Matt Walsh Halloween costume. The costume is uh, nearly sold out. Only a few more of you still have the chance to identify as me this Halloween against my best wishes and uh, I think the better judgment of everybody here. That being said, if you happen to wear the costume this week or next, be sure to post a picture on social media using hashtag what is a costume and don't forget to tag me as well. You don't have to tag me. I don't want to see it. You might even get a repost or end up on the show. Sure. Head over to dailywire.com/shop for your last chance to dress up as an argumentative bastard this Halloween, and be sure to pick up a few more pieces of merch while you're at it. So whoever wrote this copy just called me a bastard. This is this is what happens on the show. Just people write copy insulting me to my face, and I read it. Also, we launched Jeremy's Razors just a few months ago. We're already uh, we've already taken millions of dollars away from woke razor companies that hate you, and use that money to better support your values. But The time has come for Jeremy's razors to look inward and conduct a totally legit, not at all hollow or contrived DEI audit of ourselves. So here it is. Are Jeremy's razors diverse? No, the razors are great. We don't need to make different ones. Are Jeremy's razors equitable? Well, yes. When you buy a founder's kit, equity is transferred away from your pocket and into Jeremy's. And lastly, are Jeremy's razors inclusive? Of course they are, because they include blades. So there you have it. Jeremy's Razors is now DEI, self-accredited, and still the only razor brand who actually upholds virtue instead of signaling it. And if you haven't already done so, get your shave kit today at jeremysrazors.com. And in case you missed it, Ben Shapiro released a brand new episode of his Sunday special this weekend. It features a very special guest, the president of Brazil. You can watch the episode on Daily Wire Plus or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. That is literally everything happening at The Daily Wire right now. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Well, there is no way to begin today's daily cancellation except to dive right into it. Uh, Here's the Yahoo News report. It says, comedian Jordan Gray stripped naked on Channel 4 as part of the revived special episode of Friday Night Live. The 80s comedy series returned for a one-off episode on Friday uh, on Friday, 21st of October, as part of the channel's 40th anniversary celebrations. Ben Elton was back at the helm, whoever that is, along with former Friday Night Live cast members Enfield, Brand, and Julian Clary. The comic, who is trans, performed a rendition of the song Better Than You from her critically acclaimed Edinburgh Fringe show, Is It a Bird? At the end of the song, Gray, who completed competed on The Voice in 2016, shouted out, the best thing about live TV is I can do stupid stuff like this. After improvising on the keyboard, she then ran across the stage and stripped completely naked to applause and cheers from the audience before returning to the keyboard and playing it with her penis. With her penis. I mean that whole sentence. She played the piano with her penis. Imagine someone like from 15 years ago coming arriving here in a time machine. And the first sentence they read is that. Now, there's a video that goes along with this story, but I will spare you such horrors. Um, You need not suffer as I have suffered. In fact, I became aware of this story as I was scrolling down my Twitter feed on Saturday and the video um, popped up and started playing, assaulting my eyeballs and my soul without my consent. This is, by the way, one of the many reasons you should keep your kids off of social media if you aren't already and perhaps keep yourself off of it also. Uh, Social media subjects us to lots of imagery that we do not want to see and certainly did not have in mind when we opened the app and started scrolling, just a constant stream of ugliness and filth and insanity and many other kinds of awful, depressing things. Thanks to the internet, we have all seen things that no human being should ever have to see. Traumas that the human mind was not made to withstand, burdens it was not intended to carry, and this story provides a good example of that sort of thing. In fact, forget about social media, This degenerate predator did this on live television with children in physical attendance in the auditorium and also watching on TV. He exposed himself to kids and to plenty of other people who did not consent to it. He is a predatory creep who should be in prison, but instead he is, of course, being celebrated by the left. The Independent, uh, the outlet The Independent, went so far as to to call the the Indecent Exposure episode bold, hilarious, and get this, life-changing. It was life-changing to see this guy um, playing the piano with his penis. Many other leftists on social media echoed this sentiment, extolling the grotesque, repulsive sight with the sorts of glowing adjectives usually reserved for something like the Sistine Chapel, vastly overcompensating in their efforts to pretend that they weren't as grossed out as the rest of us were, which I can guarantee you most of them, in fact, were. I think this all reveals two things. Well, there was something else that was revealed too, but we aren't going to discuss that in any detail. As for the other two, first of all, if it wasn't already clear to you, it should now hopefully be apparent that the days of leave us alone and stay out of our private lives are over. And they've been over for a long, long time. In fact, those days never really existed. They never started. Left-wing LGBT activists pretended they wanted us out of their bedrooms, but we were never in their bedrooms and we, we never requested access to their bedrooms. Every time they said, "Get out of our bedrooms." You know, we always said, well, "No, uh, don't worry, I'm not co- I'm not coming in there. Don't have to worry about that." What they really wanted and have now succeeded in doing is to turn the whole world into their bedroom. To act out their sexual fantasies in full view of the public. More than that, and, and this is all the more the case for trans activists specifically, they want us to participate in their sexual fantasies. This is the demand of the trans activist. He wants you to not only, he wants to to not only to expose you to his fantasies and fetishes, but he demands that you play a role, whether you like it or not. So here we have a trans person with an exhibitionist fetish and everyone watching Channel 4 on Friday night and many other millions more who happen to be scrolling through social media the following day are forced to be actively involved just by being witnesses, by being spectators, Sexual perversion and rampant, out-of-control narcissism. That is transactivism in a nutshell, if you'll pardon the expression. Second point, I've always said that male privilege, um, at least in modern Western societies, is a myth. But I should update or amend that claim because male privilege is a myth for most men. However, men who identify as women enjoy the most privilege of all. In other words, the only men who have male privilege are the men who identify as females. Now, a woman who stripped her clothes entirely off on live television would be harshly criticized for it, and rightly so. And that's true even in our current age, when women who make sexual objects of themselves are celebrated and glorified. But there are still limits, however arbitrary those limits might be. A woman who did something similar would have her, you know, she'd have her defenders, certainly, no doubt, but she would have a great many critics, too. And that's even more the case for so-called, quote-unquote, cisgender men, otherwise known as just men. If If this was some dude who identified as a dude and fully exposed himself on television, he would be seen straightforwardly as a predator, a Harvey Weinstein type. He would be, after all, exposing himself to an audience without that audience's consent. Now, considering what counts as sexual harassment these days... A guy pulling his penis out on stage and whipping it around would, without question, be found guilty of it. You could be accused of crossing the sexual harassment line if you pay a woman a compliment in a way that she finds creepy or awkward or whatever. So exposing your genitals to thousands of women all at once without their consent would obviously obliterate that line, wherever the line is drawn. So if this was a man who identifies as a man, he would have then no defenders anywhere. Nobody would be defending him. But the man who is is still a man and identifies as a woman, for him, suddenly this this act of sexual harassment becomes bold, beautiful, life-changing. So male privilege? Yeah, definitely. That exists, with a caveat. The male with privilege is the male who denies that he is one. And the privilege he is given is not one that any decent human being would want, because he has the privilege— of being a narcissistic, predatory, self-obsessed degenerate. And we are all meant to applaud the very behavior that we rightly scorn when exhibited by literally anybody else. Now, many people have gone along with these rules for far too long, and that's how we've gotten to the point where a guy who calls himself a woman would feel entitled to take his penis out on live television. If this is not a message to the tolerant masses that they've been far too tolerant, and need to start being a lot more intolerant, then I don't know if they'll ever get the message, if they don't get it now. I can only hope that this is enough. And I can say to this guy, who should be on a sex offender registry right now, and would be if he didn't have the trans-your-way-out-of-jail-free card, I can say to him, you are canceled. And that'll do it for us today as we move over to the members block of the show. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.